On this fourth and final bonus episode of the Sustainable Carolina podcast, we're taking it back to basics, back to the building blocks of matter. But don't worry, it is exciting. In the first half of the episode, we're talking carbon, nitrogen, and oxygen. Then, in the second part of the episode, we'll switch gears and discuss lithium and phosphorus. With us first, we have Amanda Delvecchia, Assistant Professor and Voigt Gilmore Fellow at UNC Department of Geography. Delvecchia's team is using data from the National Ecological Observation Network, or NEON, to understand how characteristics of streams and watersheds affect the amounts of greenhouse gases that are released from rivers and into the atmosphere. NEON provides an exciting opportunity to do this because they have 28 monitoring sites distributed across the U.S. with paraterrestrial and aquatic data along with groundwater data. Um, So right now they've got about five years of continuous data collection all using the same methods, which lets us make these broad-scale comparisons. As part of the Aquatic Ecology and Biogeochemistry Lab at UNC Chapel Hill, this project aims to create a model that can continuously predict greenhouse gas flux or how greenhouse gases are being emitted into the atmosphere across the 28 NEON sites. The group also aims to better understand the various drivers of that flux at a broad scale. We are combining study of gas concentrations collected about 28 times per year uh, with an understanding of stream hydrology using various data sets like dissolved oxygen and discharge data, um, analyzing watershed attributes, and then also groundwater contributions using isotopes and water levels. There's quite a bit of variation across these neon sites um, that we typically tend to think of rivers as well oxygenated, yet we're seeing fairly high methane concentrations, which tend to be produced um, with a lack of oxygen in some of these sites, and that these uh, values are actually representative of the variation we see at global scales. So it's a good chance to study drivers. Drivers include things like the slope of the river, how the land around the river is used, and the elevation of the river. Starting to break down these different drivers. So the first thing I want to point out is this strong control coming from a catchment slope or stream slope, which indicates physical controls on greenhouse gas processing. So basically the steeper the stream, the more turbulent it is, the more likely the gases are going to flux out of the stream and also the more likely that it's going to remain well oxygenated. So temperature has a positive uh, correlation with both CO2 and methane. Um, And then dissolved oxygen has a negative correlation with both gases um, and CO2 and methane are tightly positively related. And what this indicates to us is the potential importance of biological controls. So again, we have in-stream processing that could be driven by this balance between photosynthesis and respiration, which can be affected by higher temperatures. And then also lower dissolved oxygen um, could indicate more respiration occurring and also the potential for methane production. Highlighting this even more, the sites with the highest CO2 and methane concentrations tended to be our highest temperature, lower slope, lower dissolved oxygen sites. So you could think of these as sort of more stagnant, warmer streams. Delvecchia's study marks the first time all three greenhouse gas concentrations and drivers of flux have been examined across a range of climates. I just pulled out two sites as examples, the Arikari River in eastern Colorado and McDiffitt Creek in Kansas which are both these slower, low-gradient, organic matter-rich streams, uh, which tend to be depleted in dissolved oxygen, which is what you're seeing on the y-axis here, but also be very supersaturated in carbon dioxide. And by looking at these relationships, we can conclude that these sites have potential groundwater inputs or potential anaerobic metabolism, just based on that balance. 
These sites, I'll also just say, but I'm not going to show data here, are also the sites that tend to have the highest methane concentrations. And believe it or not, studying these streams in the middle of the country might help us better understand our streams right here in North Carolina. And so we think that those streams where we're seeing the highest CO2 concentrations and some buildup of methane, those low gradient warmer sites, are quite similar actually to our North Carolina Piedmont streams. One of the issues that we've seen with NEON data and the way that we study greenhouse gases in rivers in general um, is that we often take a point measurement and then assume it represents some length of stream. So it's one point representing half a kilometer to a kilometer of each of stream. The issue with this is that some streams, like New Hope Creek, vary dramatically in the type of habitat that they create. Streams can flow swiftly in one area and then look more like a pond close by. I've been jokingly calling this the Piedmont Peapod hypothesis. <laughs> and so we think that that point might not be representing what's actually happening uh, in a given reach. And we're going back to this idea that the physical and biological controls on greenhouse gases uh, vary with local geomorphology. What we think is happening, greenhouse gases accumulate in those ponded sections where our peas. Um, and then when they hit the riffles, those riffles basically act as a chimney with higher gas flux because of the turbulence. And so specifically studying drivers of greenhouse gas production in those ponds might be more fruitful for us to understand what's happening in these streams. If you've ever been to Hollow Rock Nature Park, um, we're actually moving upwards from there. And we're trying to understand longitudinal heterogeneity there by pairing pool and ripple sequences. Um, so we're installing continuous methane and carbon dioxide sensors, mimicking some of the NEON approach, but taking more of a longitudinally explicit approach, and then um, trying to understand groundwater contributions by installing wells along this reach um, and constantly measuring all these different drivers that could be biological controls on greenhouse gas production. As this work progresses, Delvecchia's lab will be taking a closer look at greenhouse gas flux from areas where there are exposed river sediments, like along riverbeds. Understanding this might help the people and industry living and working in and around streams make better environmental decisions. Now, on to the other two elements I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, phosphorus and lithium. Drew Coleman is the chair of UNC Chapel Hill's Environment, Energy, and Ecology program, also known as E3P. He is currently working with the North Carolina Collaboratory to explore mining operations and how to lessen their environmental impact. If you look, look around the room at the things in your, in your pockets and, and the things that are making up this room, everything here that didn't grow as a tree has to be removed from the earth, uh, and it's going to cause some impact Coleman showed the room a chart with nine separate periodic tables. Each periodic table was labeled with the name of a country. On each table, certain elements were highlighted. The highlighted elements indicate the countries that the United States rely on for certain elements needed for manufacturing. That nations that we're not exactly getting along with right now, and nations that are not exactly extracting things from the environment environmentally sensitively, um, are providing big chunks of the resources that we need to make our EVs, to make our phones, to make our computers, to make all the things that you see running around this room. And the problem uh, gets even bigger when you start looking at uh, reliance in the U.S. on imports. This is a problem for us economically and geopolitically. Uh, we're reliant on these nations right now for all of these things. And when Russia invades Ukraine, for example, um, we all of a sudden run out of a lot of different parts of the periodic chart that 
that we don't have access to here in the United States. So it's, it's a problem for us as a country in these so-called critical minerals. Um, the problem becomes even bigger when you think what it takes to extract these different things out of the ground. So what does all this have to do with sustainability? When we have a fossil fuel and we burn a fossil fuel, it goes off into the air as carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide, water, and we're never going to see that again. That's not true of these elements that we extract from the ground. This is not alchemy. Once we extract a mole of lithium, a gram of lithium out of the ground, it's always going to be lithium. And so if we focus our efforts on recycling that lithium, every gram or most of every gram of lithium that we extract from the ground can be reused and it will always be lithium. So this is a really important part of the sustainability of uh, the geology. The United States Geological Survey is currently evaluating the entire country for mineral resource potential. That is, they're looking to see what parts of the country are hotspots for certain elements. North Carolina happens to be home to a wealth of two minerals needed in the production of EV batteries. And I bet, at this point, you can guess what those are. Toyota broke ground very recently on a huge battery manufacturing plant just west of here. Uh, I drive by it a lot on my way out to the mine that I've, I've been working at. Um, and it's no accident that Toyota chose North Carolina for this plant. Probably there was quite a bit of economic incentive. Um, but in addition to that, lithium batteries, one of the great lithium batteries are lithium phosphate batteries. And it turns out that in North Carolina, we have two of the critical components to make lithium iron phosphate batteries. The first one is kind of fun. Anybody that's collected a shark's tooth off the coast of North Carolina, that's calcium phosphate. And Aurora, North Carolina is a great source for phosphorus for making lithium iron phosphate batteries. Um, it's underappreciated at this point, I think, but these guys are also a really good source for rare earth elements. And I can see going down in the future um, that, that they're going to be exploited for rare earth elements too. We don't need to throw it everything away after we've extracted the phosphate. In addition to the phosphate, um, the Kings Mountain area of North Carolina uh, has been historically mined for lithium, and there are presently tens of billions of dollars of lithium um, hypothesized or known to be under um, Gaston County in that area in North Carolina. Um, Kings Mountain was historically mined for lithium in the 20th century. Um, in the late 1920s, this is an open pit mine that was open from the late, 19, late 1920s until 1989, when um, we didn't need much lithium at the time in 1989, and the prices in China uh, put the mine out of business. So this is an open pit mine that's been sitting idle since 1989. And one of the things I'd like you to take away from this is that once we walk away from this open pit mine, nature has recovered it rather nicely in North Carolina. So this is a habitat now for geese and, and such, yeah? And it's, it's a nice place, and it's only 30 years out from active mining here. Albemarle Mining plans to begin extracting lithium once again. But the amount of lithium that Albemarle Mining plans on extracting represents only a small proportion of the lithium available in our entire state. And the rest of the area that has lithium potential in North Carolina, it's farmers' fields, it's homes, it's people's private land, um, and it's being um, being uh, explored and purchased by another company, Piedmont Lithium, um, and they're the ones that have estimated tens of billions of dollars worth of lithium in the ground here. So um, we're left with 
an economic and personal conundrum here. We want lithium batteries, if we want EVs, if we want this battery plant in Winston-Salem, um, we need to think about, we've got to pay the price. We can't just make it out of the air, okay? And so I'm working through funding with the NC Policy Collaboratory on exploring this and hopefully working with the mining companies uh, to improve exploration technology so that we can minimize that environmental footprint and that environmental impact, um, but take advantage of the strict laws that we have here in the United States uh, and do this responsibly so that we're making these EVs and we're not destroying the planet some other way. People opposed to lithium mining in Gaston County have made their sentiments known. Yard signs on lawns read, Gaston County Pit Mine, with a big red slash through the words. Piedmont is purchasing the land. They, they, their initial offer, they've go, gone in and offered twice the, the listed value of the property, and they've acquired most of the property that they need. Um, there's still some holdouts, although as more and more of the property around you is purchased and you're this island, um, you get less incentive to hold out. Um, the biggest thing that's stopping things right now is just getting public approval for permits to actually start doing the work. It's, a, it's moved from the geological, we know it's down there, we know where it is, they've got a plan for getting it out of the ground, it's up to Gaston County and Raleigh to, to work out the politics. So it is live. The North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality is reviewing Piedmont Lithium's permit applications. Residents of Gaston County are concerned about greenhouse gas emissions, release of potentially harmful chemicals, and water quality. There are some things these companies are doing to try to be more sustainable. For example, on its website, Piedmont Lithium states that they intend to build an on-site solar array to power much of the Gaston County plant. There are a few other sustainability-related goals listed on the site as well. As our country works to adopt more EVs, time will tell if we're properly balancing the resources that we're taking from the Earth with the preservation of our planet.